Welcome to Home, Space and Reason, a podcast about creating a home that thrives. Hi there, I'm Christina Browning, your host. If you know your home could be so much more than it is, I discuss home functionality, aesthetics, and automation. I'm a home functionality coach and realtor. I geek out on various subjects regarding your home and yard, challenging you to think of your space differently to get the most out of every square foot, no matter if you reside in 4,500 square feet or 350. I post questions for you to think through about your space and your reason. This podcast is all positive, offering you virtual fist bumps and celebrating every win. Remember, there's no such thing as perfect, but you can still aim for your best every day. In this episode, let's discuss mostly home functionality and how to create spaces in our homes in which our social relationships can flourish. There will be lots of opportunities to take notes throughout this podcast, so you might just have a pen and paper handy from the get-go. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know I usually pop in some music when it's time to write things down, but in this one, it's a little different. You'll hear music a couple of times. Dr. Doreen Dodgen-McGee is the author of Deviced, Balancing Life and Technology in a Digital World. She had an Instagram post at the end of September that was so eloquently written that I asked her permission to quote her. She said, social media is just that, social. It isn't necessarily the place where we can get an accurate read on how anyone is doing. Make sure you check in with those you love and ask them how you're doing, engage your empathy. Tech is great for many things, vulnerability and depth of authentic connection, not so much, end quote. Thank you, Dr. Doreen, for that paragraph and inspiration for the topic of this podcast, creating spaces for gathering and connection face to face. Creating spaces specifically for successful gatherings and connection can mean both hosting a large celebratory bash, but it can also mean simply having one other dear person over for quality time without the planning and the fuss. Impossible, you might be quietly declaring after trying to imagine how you'll fit yet another thing into your life. Well, let's discuss that. Are you making time for people and do you have any reoccurring visits planned? We decided as a group that we didn't spend enough time with my brother and sister-in-law. We both had young children, and so we scheduled a reoccurring hangout day put onto the calendar in December for the entire whole next year. We decided on an increment of every six weeks. This was when we finally achieved a frequency we were all happy with, and it gave us an excuse to collectively defend that day and not change plans. Each family held the other accountable and fully expected to be, at a minimum, in each other's company that day. At most, we would enjoy the essence of that season together. Whether it was a day at the pumpkin patch, a hike through rhododendron gardens, or celebrating one of our birthdays, the pressure was low, but the expectation of the gathering part was high. I host every other get-together, which equated to once every three months, because my sister-in-law hosted every other get-together too. 
if you have people in your life that you want to see more, first establish that they feel the same and then schedule it so it's sure to happen. If you don't, you can expect more of the same results that you've had. What you focus on grows. Make an effort where you want to see growth. You could literally stop this podcast right now and bang out a text to the humans you want to spend more time with and say, let's get a few dates on the calendar for hanging out in the next six months. What days are best for you? You could make that a reoccurring date when they reply. I also know of families who gather weekly after church or around a sporting event if you're a family who are all fans of the same team. The reoccurrence is what makes it happen here because you aren't always tasked with coming up with a date, extending the infight, waiting for a response, and then finally getting it on the calendar over and over and over. That becomes a chore. That becomes another dreaded thing on the list. When the show Friends was in the height of its popularity, I remember groups of friends actually gathering weekly to watch Friends. I know people who gather in a garage to all do CrossFit together several times a week. Again, the reoccurring part is the key here. Let's say you have a golden retriever who needs regular walks. Who can you invite along on those walks with you? Now that we've talked about a way in which you can find time to see the people you love more often, now we can discuss creating both indoor and outdoor spaces for gathering and connection. I want you to stop for a minute and think about when was the last time you really felt connected? Like as in you were in a small intimate group telling stories, laughing, learning something new about another person. Where were you? Tell me what is under your feet. What are you sitting on? And what was the lighting like? Do you remember what you were drinking? Take a deep breath. What did the air smell like in that moment? Write these things down. These are treasures, little nuggets of insight. How then do you shape your living room, your backyard, your family room, your dining room to allow your social relationships to flourish in person? Is it possible you have spent more time figuring out how to take the best selfie than you have figuring out the common threads that allow you to recreate the happiest moments of connection with those that you love the most? Physiologically, not having a social support system is actually a source of chronic stress for our bodies. Studies show that when people feel lonelier, they have higher levels of the stress hormone cortisol, raising the risk of cardiovascular disease and other challenges. On the opposite end of the spectrum, social relationships can encourage behaviors that are good for us too, like eating right and exercising. Spending time thinking through your spaces for gathering is a gift to yourself, as is positive self-talk. I value the experience within my home so much that I'm going to give it some real deliberate thought and make decisions with intention and not with haste. Your intention here is to create an atmosphere that is warm, relaxed, friendly, close, comfortable, and welcoming. This means no white couches, 
This means no shiny hard surfaces and more wood, more leather, more natural fibers, more candles and warm light and chunky blankets, more thought as to where people can sit and face each other to share a story and not just sit facing the TV. According to the World Happiness Report commissioned by the United Nations, while basic living standards are essential for happiness, after the baseline has been met, happiness varies more with the quality of human relationships than income. The things people reported making them most happy, among others, was socializing after work, dinner, relaxation, lunch, exercise, prayer, and then watching TV. All those things came above TV. We are social creatures, so when we remove the socializing and replace it with something digital, we're left feeling empty. The tricky part is to introduce the socializing part without it feeling threatening or like we have to remove our devices altogether. This isn't an either or thing. You can have both with some intention. Consider the qualities of a really great gathering space within a private residence. Think of the last great gathering you went on or to a home you might have gone to as a child. What about it was so magical? Sometimes it's hard to put your finger on it. Hopefully this podcast is helping you see the components of spaces so you can more easily identify why a space speaks to you in order to emulate that in your own home. What are the elements of space that encourage the young and older, extroverts and introverts to all feel comfortable and let their guard down? Let's take the list of things that make humans the most happy and think about it in context to your own house. I'm going to list activities and I want you to write them down and imagine how they play out in your own home. And then we can discuss how we improve on those spaces in which these things happen. Leave room after each number to write notes as the podcast goes on as it pertains to your exact space. Number one, socializing after work. Now this may not happen inside your house, but if it were to be there, how would that work? Number two, dinner, like not staring communally at the TV, like sitting around a table. Three, relaxation, not on your iPad or iPhone. Think other than digital here. Four, lunch. Five, exercise and movement. Six, prayer, which can also be meditation, reflection, or whatever it means to you and your practice. There are spaces and there are reasons that go hand in hand. So let's first talk about reasons to gather. Oftentimes you need a thing, a thing to bring people together in the first place. And this is usually a holiday, but our job here is to come up with more frequent non-holiday related reasons to gather, which gives people ease and to feel like they know what to expect when agreeing to attend or simply come over. Unless you're 16, I've found it hard to say, hey, Kara, come over. Her answer would probably be, well, why? What's up? Isn't it interesting that we must have a reason? The responsibilities of our lives often get in the way. The list of things we have to do is so intimidating that we need a reason to stop and connect with someone we love. 
This is one reason why the barbecue is a beloved item in many American homes, because it is so many things at once. It is an activity, like the act of barbecuing. It is a functional item. It cooks things. And it's a reason to gather, as in it becomes a verb. Come over to barbecue. What other things can create this magic? A fire pit. It is an activity, the act of making s'mores. It is a functional item. It roasts something over an open flame. And it's a reason to gather. It clearly lends itself, post s'mores, to gathering around the fire and talking for hours. Humans are seemingly wired to gather around fires at night, a practice that stretches far back in the history of our species. Matt Rossano, an evolutionary psychologist at Southeastern Louisiana University, explains, early on when fires were most often built out of necessity rather than for entertainment, the people who maintained them had to cooperate in order to enjoy fire's benefits. Warmth, protective light, the ability to cook food, And these days, though their purpose may have changed, fires remain a tool of cooperation, Rosano says, often fostering conversations that are relaxed and emotionally positive. A pool is another item that creates spaces for gathering. It's an activity, swimming. It's a functional item. It provides you exercise. And it's a reason to gather. It is both a place for people to be anchored and gather around, while being a social activity at the same time, with lounge chairs and much chatting and fun to be had. Isn't it interesting that all three of these things are things you would typically find in your backyard? Think on that for a minute. That means having an outdoor space to use is actually really important. It doesn't have to be large to accommodate two of these three things, Look for my podcast on outdoor spaces coming in the next few months. I want you to think of your gathering preferences and other priorities for the upcoming months and see if you can combine two of them. Let's say a priority for you is gathering with loved ones more, but also on your radar is making a garden. Can you combine the two and design a garden that is a calming oasis with plenty of room to entertain in, yet it can be comfortable enough to spend a quiet morning alone with your immediate family. This would be checking three boxes. You built your garden, but you built it in a way that can turn into ambiance for a large gathering. Maybe it's surrounding the perimeter, creating a smaller space, like an outdoor room of sorts within a large expansive yard. And... You have thought it through enough so you can have small spaces to sit that are contained enough that you don't feel odd sitting there alone or with just your immediate family. The space could also contain an area for prayer, meditation, or yoga and check yet one more box. Maybe this involved putting the garden into beds on three sides of a large rustic slab table. Maybe it involves creating a tiered garden of vegetables among beds of flowers so that you use vertical space and allow more lawn for picnics. Defining space is important so people feel comfortable and somewhat contained, even outdoors. 
I'm going to read to you an excerpt from an article in Psychology Today by Lily Bernheimer, who says, in part, many people feel most comfortable and at ease when they have their back to the wall rather than an open room or door. Next time you walk into a half-empty cafe, for example, look around and see which seats are taken. Those backing against walls and facing windows or doors almost always fill up first. She goes on to say, research from the Swedish University of Agriculture Sciences has suggested that natural environments providing this coveted sense of refuge are the most restorative spaces for people suffering from stress. So when building areas for seating, whether indoors or outdoors, consider creating nooks and spots that feel safe and restorative. Imagine a giant yard. Would you go sit out in the middle of it in a chair? Probably not. You would feel exposed. Now imagine a tree there, and to one side you put in a long, raised garden bed. In the back, you planted the tallest plants, and in the front, the lowest to the ground. Suddenly, you've created a more safe feeling and a defined seating area. Think about it. Have you ever walked into a massive church for a wedding with just 100 guests? It felt empty and probably uncomfortable, like nobody showed up, right? Likewise, a room that has too many people and not enough space can feel claustrophobic and can make your guests that are more anxiety-prone to run for the hills. For a mixed seating and standing gathering in your home, the per-person rule of thumb is 8 square feet. Your 25-person party would do well in 200-ish square feet. A space with two or three intentional seating spaces will present natural opportunities for mixed seating and conversational nooks. So in this scenario, you have one space in your new garden with a long, large outdoor table. Your second space is connected to a patio, let's say with seating for three. And off to the side is a, let's say a fire pit around which five chairs are placed. What I have just described here is three comfortably small areas for people to sit and talk, yet feel licensed enough to mingle because the areas are connected and visually open. You can use this measurement and work backwards. How much square footage do I have that people can occupy and therefore how many people should I invite for a maximum number? Also, this doesn't have to be a hard and fast rule. It's just a starting point. Take into consideration the demographic of the people you would like to entertain and then decipher if you need a fire pit for teenagers with a life-size Jenga game to play outdoors or if you have an older group that appreciates a good game of gin rummy. So maybe a nice round table would be ideal. Here's another thing to keep in mind. Our older family members and friends often need steady footing, few steps, and less deep seating. Ideally, the chairs would include arms to help steady themselves when rising from a seated position. Maybe you know people that struggle with movement in a particular way. Is the ground level and stable on your outdoor pathways? And is there a clear and easy route to the restroom? Consider multi-purpose use in every way possible. 
both creating or purchasing a thing that can be used in more than one way and creating a space that can be used in more than one way. I cannot even properly put into words how much fun I had designing our hammock cabana last summer because I had visions of parties in our small lawn ranging from a few people to half the neighborhood and how this cabana might function in all the scenarios. Our hammock cabana is basically a ceiling of sorts with two walls holding it up which provides support for a hammock. Which is a yellow leaf hammock, by the way, so it holds up to 600 pounds, and that means me, my husband, and son can all fit into this hammock. So cool. I digress. Anywho, on one side, I created two staggered shelves, one extending outward and the other extending inward. In a large party scenario, the top shelf can hold wine, a pitcher and spigot of lemonade, and the shelf under it could hold a variety of glasses so guests can help themselves. In a smaller gathering, the top shelf was placed at countertop height so two stools could sit in front of it and people could literally eat there or enjoy a beer even while someone else was in the hammock. When it's just our family of three in the yard, it doesn't feel empty because the top shelf holds a candle to keep mosquitoes away and serves as a spot for sunglasses and my book to land if I'm done with it in the hammock, while the bottom shelf holds blankets for when the evening grows chilly. My point here is when you are envisioning something for your yard, take the extra time to step through in your head how the space can handle a really big group, a small group, and then just your immediate family. Make design adjustments accordingly so the spaces can be used to their best and highest potential in all those scenarios. It cost us no more to put that shelf at counter height and to stagger the shelves as it would have for them to be plain, but the staggering and placement made them useful in many scenarios and helps for every bit of space to be useful when we have people over. Remember our list from earlier? This space could absolutely accommodate socializing after work, relaxation, and reflection. Because of the ability to pull up a couple bar stools, it could even accommodate supporting small or large gatherings. It checks so many boxes. Now let's discuss indoor reasons to gather that are beyond the holidays. Tasting parties. I often find myself standing in the aisle of a grocery store looking at a plethora of barbecue sauces, hot sauces, or kombucha, and wishing there were a taste testing table right there so I could sample them all and choose which one I love the most. But then I had an idea. Why couldn't this be the premise for gathering? The only thing you would need for it is small stainless or ceramic dip cups so each person can have their own tiny sample. Depending on what you are sampling, it could be as easy as throwing veggies or chicken on skewers and putting them on the grill. What space might you need for this scenario? The ideal number of people to experience a tasting party is three to six. Any more than that, and you won't be able to really visit and connect much. Three to four is ideal. If you have an island or a couch table that you can line up a series of small ramekins labeled so people know what they're tasting and ultimately they can pick their favorite, that's all the evening requires. 
having a cheese taster, line up six kinds of cheese on a small personal platter, throw some peaches on the grill, and you've got yourself a delightful reason to gather. Have a group of friends that enjoy spice? Have a hot sauce taster and find a few unique ones. Skewer some chicken and veggies and the details are done. If connecting and having quality time with one another is your priority, then figure out logistics on how you'll face each other to play a family game. Can you do this around the dinner table? If you don't have a dinner table, can you do this by adding some floor pillows around the side of the coffee table that may not currently have seating? What game would thrill everyone? Where will you keep it? Expand your comfort zone. Imagine an evening without TV, or if that would freak your family out, imagine an evening with just half TV. If that's an easier way to dip your toes in the water of becoming a more social being again in a non-digital way. I understand some people don't really love board games. Based on a review I found online about the game Crokinole, I got more curious because this review was really something. This review said, in part, It's truly the best game I have ever played, and even better, my kids felt the same way. It's a dexterity game that's best described as a mix of marbles, tabletop shuffleboard, and curling. With either two players or four players split into two teams, your goal is to flick discs into the center hole or higher scoring regions of the board, while also attempting to knock out the opposing team's discs. It's fun for any age because there's no actual strategy required. I ordered a beautiful custom wood version from Mitchell, owner of Artisan Anthropods in Uxbridge, Massachusetts. Anything that brings people together of all ages and abilities is truly a gem. The game itself appears to have originated in the 1860s, but the first crafted crokinole board was made in 1876 in Perth County, Ontario. Eventually, the board was patented by Joshua Ingalls in 1880 and then manufactured first in New York and later in Pennsylvania. Now that we've discussed reasons, let's talk about spaces. Look around your main gathering room. If it's possible, go to that space now while we're talking together so you can look at these spaces real time. Is there ample room to walk in between your pieces of furniture? Is it possible that you have too much furniture or maybe not enough? I find this is the case in many homes I go into. I've seen a couch put directly in front of the TV and that's the only seating in the room. Imagine people sitting there, quite literally with zero opportunity to see another person to talk. The priority here is absolutely the television and is the opposite of personal connection. In this scenario, they would have to sit on the floor or turn their heads and be uncomfortably close to the person next to them for a conversation, like smelling their breath close. Alternately, I have seen rooms where there is so much oversized furniture that it's not comfortable to even move around. As beautiful as Pottery Barn furniture can be, if you have a small home, I can tell you right now, the scale is wrong. Many manufacturers 
make these beautiful pieces with scale appropriate for a 2,800 square foot home and nine foot ceilings and an open floor plan. This isn't everyone's situation. Even a 1,500 square foot house in Boston or San Fran, DC or Miami can run you far more than a half a million dollars to be close into the city. If there are any furniture brands listening, let's collaborate on some smaller scale pieces. We need more choices for people who live in smaller scale homes, yet have high design expectations. Look at the scale of your furniture. Do you have one giant couch facing the TV and no way for a person to sit and face another person to have an actual conversation? Do you have a coffee table so people have a place they can comfortably set a drink or their reading glasses? Seating arrangements can make or break a gathering. Whether it's a cocktail party, a book club get-together, or New Year's Eve, you want a setup that makes socializing easy and enjoyable. The right combination of comfortable chairs that aren't too deep, tables, and credenza-like surfaces for serving is the key to making your space more inviting for gatherings. To keep conversation easy, leave at least three feet of space between each seat. Place your armchair three feet away from the end of your couch or five to six feet across from the sofa. The coffee table, no matter what the shape, should sit about 14 to 18 inches from the front of the couch to provide comfortable legroom, but still be close enough to set a drink down without getting up. These measurements prevent guests from feeling like they're sitting on top of one another, while a stretch of 10 feet or more is too much to converse easily, so seriously, get out the tape measure. I will put a link to Apartment Therapy's Guide to Ideal Living Room Layout Measurements in the podcast notes. Clearly, if you live in a tiny house or just smaller living quarters in general, this can be scaled And instead of a chair across from the couch, maybe you have floor pillows that can be tucked away after your visits are over. Here's an exercise for you. Sit in each seat and check if there's a place to set your drink without getting up. If not, add a side table, a garden stool, or a seat table that's about the same height as the arm of the seat you are sitting in. Now imagine you are standing and talking with another person in the same space. Where would you stand? And where would you set your drink in this scenario? Is there a spot for a wall-mounted shelf at bar height? Just deep enough for a coaster and one tiny plant or book that serves as a bar top of sorts for gatherings, but can simply be a bookshelf when not being used in this capacity? Combining open spaces, a private nook, conversation spaces, and garden areas to give people the freedom to sit or mingle where they're most comfortable is ideal for creating spaces to gather. Who do you know that is intensely shy? And likewise, who do you know that's the life of the party? Ask yourself if they were to both be in my space at once, where would they prefer to be? I find that imagining all personality types when creating your space is so helpful. Grab your pen and paper again. Make a list of the people in your life that you would like to have over for more quality time. I recommend keeping this list a manageable size to start. 
Once you've mastered having them over more often, then grow the list if you choose. Start with no more than four names. Goals. Write down what your specific actionable adjustments are that you want to make in your main space to make an impact on your next gathering. The last one is set a date for this to be done by actually inviting these people over for a future gathering, setting up your intention to have the space done by that date. Now what you have to do between now and then is break it down. Make baby steps for yourself in order to set yourself up to succeed. You've heard me say how important lighting is before, and I'll say it again. Lighting, lighting, lighting. Having the right lighting helps both introverts and extroverts enjoy themselves in your home during an evening gathering. Keep the lighting low and indirect. Soft lighting brings people closer, creates cozier affairs, and can even beckon guests into an adjacent room. Variations in lighting can change the mood from room to room and keep your guests circulating. This is the time to light the candles and turn off the bright ceiling lights. Light shining from above casts unwanted shadows down on people's faces and is as unflattering as it gets. Lamps and dimmers take over the bulk of the job. Because good lighting is so important to the success of a gathering and because it's often one of the last things considered, I've included a link to these tips in the podcast notes and on our private Facebook group called Home Space and Reason. Apartment Therapy pointed out something wise. Be aware of any accidental lighting that may spill in from other rooms. This is especially important in small spaces when the constant opening and closing of the bathroom door can continually interrupt the evening's ambiance. I have a friend who actually disables certain lights with the circuit breaker, opting for candlelight in the bathroom only. This is when a dimmer would be so incredibly helpful. I'm a fan of help yourself amenities, like sitting out glasses, labeling drink containers, sitting out spoons, etc., so that people feel empowered to help themselves and you can enjoy your company rather than waiting on people hand and foot. I have a few chalkboard stands that I reuse for every party I have. It showcases what kind of cheese is on the charcuterie board and that the lemonade is in fact spiked. And please help yourself to the ice in the refrigerator door dispenser. The more you make things obvious by spelling it out, the less you'll have to do during the gathering. Small self-standing reusable chalkboards are something I use for everything from listing prices at my son's school fundraiser to highlighting the bed size currently occupying each room of the homes I list so people can see, well, this is a double bed in this room right here, so if we bought this house, our queen would only be a tad bigger. Since we're talking about gatherings and my career is based around the buying, selling, and reimagining of homes, do you know of someone that just moved into their first home? Instead of throwing them a housewarming party, have a pantry party for them. Instead of buying things, a pantry party focuses on stocking the pantry with a variety of staple foods and carefully curated spices for the new homeowners to enjoy. 
This means they won't get a bunch of gifts they either don't need or isn't their taste, but instead they're consumables that are welcome. Did you know that the term housewarming is descended literally from the act of warming a new house? In the days before we had central heating, each guest would bring firewood and build fires in all the available fireplaces, offering firewood as a gift. How lucky are we to live in a time where we aren't reliant on firewood exclusively to keep from freezing to death? Because I haven't talked about automation, I wanted to throw in this little fun idea. If you're unsure if your guests are fit to have another drink, for fun, you can ask Alexa to play beer goggles. This skill asks a set of questions and then determines whether or not you've reached your limit based on their responses. How fun is that? Remember back in the beginning of this podcast, I went over things people reported making them most happy? Make spaces in your home that do double or triple duty. Where can you socialize after work once a month and how can you make that happen easily? What can enhance your dinner time with your family? If you aren't sitting at a table for dinner, reflect on your goals and values. If you value quality time with your family, make dinner sacred. No TV, radio, phones, or other distractions. I value you and what you have to say. I want to hear about your day. Let's go around the table and tell each other the best and worst thing that happened to each of us today. Also on that list is relaxation. Even if only for a half hour, this is essential to being a productive human. Give yourself the gift of shutting off everything so your mind can quite literally have peace. Zero information going into it. Silence even if it's for 10 minutes, is so valuable. Lunch. Who can you invite over that you haven't seen in a long time? Send them a text right now and get it on the calendar. Exercise. Your body deserves the gift of exercise, the ability to move and stretch and feel alive. Your body should feel good, and if it doesn't, Turn first to exercise and more water before medication. See what a difference you can make in honoring your body by moving it more. Exercise is a gift to you from you. Prayer. Do you have a spiritual practice? No matter if you follow organized religion or not, you can have a spiritual practice that clears your mind and gives you clarity and peace. Have you allowed yourself a spot for this in your home? A floor pillow or a yoga mat? Whatever you need to honor this piece of you. Give it thought and see if you can create a more defined space for this in your home and in your schedule. Think about this list in context to your own house. Now that you've imagined how they could play out in your own home, what are you going to start on first? How will you hold yourself accountable to getting it done? Small baby steps are still steps. Take a step a day or 10 steps a day in the direction toward completing a great space for gathering so your values are reflected in your home. If you wanna spend more time with people that you love, if you want more quality time but you aren't setting your spaces up to do that, to support that, it won't happen. Create the spaces you desire so you can gather more easily and linger longer. 
I consult with builders. If you are working on a project, whether residential or commercial, and you're interested in getting the most out of every square foot, reach out and perhaps we can work together. I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email at Christina with a K at spaceandreason.com. Did you know you can hire me no matter where you live? If you're really stuck on what to do with one particular space in your home, I have consultations now open via FaceTime. Check out my website, spaceandreason.com, and click on the link Imagine. If you happen to live in the greater metro Portland, Oregon area, and you'd like to hire me as your home coach or as your realtor, reach out to me through social media or my website, spaceandreason.com. Don't forget to rate this podcast so it will rank higher and more people can give every space a reason. Thanks for sitting in on this conversation about creating a home that thrives and the privilege of your time. I'll meet you back here for the next episode. (laughs) 